I'm going to ask for two volunteers really quickly. Any two volunteers. Come on, can we celebrate them as they come? Come on, come on, come on. So I just want to take a moment, if you will, and uh, go ahead and just open that up and, um, you know, take out as much as you can, if you will. You know, as you can see, and for those who are listening, this is a, uh, this is a lump of Play-Doh. <laughs> and so, um, you know, you don't have to take out all of it as much as you can. I just want you real quickly, just make something out of it. Just go ahead and make something. What do you, let's see your creative juices go to work here. Okay, let's see what, it, let's see what this is going to turn out to. Put, put those things you learned in kindergarten to practice. Here we go. <laughs> yeah, let's hear some guesses. Come on, let's hear some guesses. Fried dumpling. <laughs> Somebody's hungry this morning. <laughs> cool. So what, what, are we, what are we thinking? Okay, that was fast. Man, you, got, you must have got an A in kindergarten, Duane. Cool. What is this? So what's this, guys? Come on, let's guess. A dinosaur? Okay, fantastic. Dinosaur. Hey, what's that, Leon? Does anybody want... <laughs> Yo, Mr. Jerk is just down the street, eh? So if you want a fried dumpling, go deal with one there. A what? Boil fry. A boil or fry. Okay, I don't know what I don't know what's happening. Oh, boil dumpling or fry dumpling. Okay. All these West Indians in the house, guy. Wonderful. Fantastic. Well, the I'll actually keep those up here. Just for the sake of it, for example's sake. Boom. And boom. Don't get hungry off the fried dumpling. All right, can we celebrate them as they go to their seat? Yeah. Thank you, gentlemen. I appreciate you. You'll see where this makes sense in a bit, but I really appreciate this. So as you know, as I shared with you, you know, last week we talked it through 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and in Revelation chapter, uh, Revelation chapter 20, we, we talked about the great white throne judgment and we also talked about the judgment seat of Christ. We don't need to unpack the, the, the great white throne judgment because it's already determined and decided what's happening there. However, there's no way to maximize that. You know, you're, if you stand in that dynamic of God's judgment, you're, you're headed to the hot place, you know. Um, however, if you stand in the judgment seat of Christ, which are those who have put trust and faith in Christ, so it's not, you don't, uh, you don't stand at the uh, judgment seat of Christ or the Bema seat because you have earned your way there. How many of you are happy this morning that salvation is not by your works? Okay. And so it's an amazing thing, an amazing thing to, to think about and to remember as it pertains to uh, the judgment seat of Christ or the Bema seat. And there are ways, because we stand before the Bema seat of Christ, not to, de- not to determine where we're going to spend eternity, but to determine how we're going to spend eternity. And what that means is we learned that when you stand before the Bema seat of Christ in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, it talks about how we have to be careful how we build on the foundation, which is Christ, remember? And the, the way in which we build, what we do with our lives after we've gotten saved, after we've given our lives to the Lord, it determines whether or not when we stand before Christ, yes, we're headed for heaven, but it determines whether we receive rewards. Everybody say rewards. Or we receive loss. Everybody say loss. And so he talks about how our works will be tested by proverbial fire. In other words, he's going to judge what we've done, whether good or bad, even as believers. Everyone has to give an account. And we receive rewards or your life can go up in smoke and you just make it into heaven. And I told you and I challenged you guys to understand that 
you know, uh, it's not enough and it shouldn't be your goal just to get to heaven. Heaven is not a goal, it's a gift. And so now I'm not living to get to heaven. Jesus did that when I put trust and faith in him. But I have a responsibility to be, uh, to steward everything that he's put in my hand and build with it upon the foundation of Christ in a way that when I stand before him, right, and my work is tested, it will last. And not only will it prove, be proven that it is godly work, but it also will get me rewards, the Bible talks about. And so many of us, we don't see these parables in scripture. And I think that it's really, really cool for us to unpack them. This one in Luke chapter 19. Did you turn there? So Luke chapter 19, it's also going to be on the screen for you. Uh, verse 11 and onward, I want to unpack this. And we're going to grab some things out um, as it pertains to understanding what Christ looks to us for um, when it comes to stewarding that which he has placed in our possession. Is that okay? All right, here we go. Luke 19, verse 11 says, As they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. So the people who were walking with Christ, they thought at that moment right that he was going that his kingdom that he was going to establish which he's coming to establish when he returns again uh, at some point in time he is going to come and he's going to establish his kingdom and they thought that the kingdom he was going to establish was going to happen in their time they thought it was going to happen immediately they were looking for this instant gratification however he tells them this parable which brings to light exactly what is going to transpire and so he says, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. How many of you know uh, John chapter, I believe it's John chapter 14, verse 1 through 3 says, Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God. Believe also in me. He's referring to himself. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, come on Bible readers. I would have told you. He says, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again. And I will receive you unto myself. That where I am, there ye may be also. And so after the similitude of this nobleman that Jesus is talking about, this king, he, he goes away to prepare a place. He goes away to receive for himself a kingdom. And the Bible says that he's going to come back thereafter. And then it goes on in verse 13, and it says, Calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten minas. Everybody say minas. minas. One mina equaled about three months of labor. Three months of labor. So he leaves them, each of them, with ten minas. Everybody gets the same amount of minas as what he gave them. And then he goes on and he makes it clear. And says, calling ten of his servants, he gave them minors and said to them, engage in business until I come. But his citizens hated him. Everybody say hated him. His citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. And so we find here that he goes away and that there are, there's a distinction between his servants and his citizens come on somebody 
There's a distinction between servants and between citizens. And the citizens now, which represent people in general uh, who are not called of God, who have not been saved by Jesus uh, as of yet, it declares that they were in a place where they hated his leadership, they disliked his leadership to the point where they even sent a delegation. And the word delegation there is presbia. Everybody say presbia. In other words, they sent ambassadors. Trust me, I'm just building this thing. To run after this king to make it clear and known how much they did not want him to be their ruler. Can I give you point number one? Just this, since this is after, uh, this is meant to be a picture of where we are. Point number one is, and it should be, I uh, will go up on the screen for you as well. The world is naturally opposed to the lordship of Jesus. And you can write this down. Tweet it as well, that it be made known. The world is naturally opposed to the lordship of Jesus. It's almost as if the world has a gag reflex. Come on. You know what I have a gag reflex for? V8 juice. (laughs) Guy, as much as I love smoothies and all of that stuff and whatever, I just cannot. Man, I don't know. Guy, if I wanted vegetables, I would just, you know, yam them cut them up and eat them you know or whatever i just don't i don't understand for me just that thing to me tastes disgusted and so every so so the thing is for me i have a natural gag reflex to to a v8 juice i don't know what you have a gag reflex for or what you can't stand you know but this is the natural tendency of the world towards jesus the fact of the matter is, and some of you are saying, well, no, I, I think Jesus is cool, you know. And, and usually the issue is that we think Jesus is as just as cool as Buddha. And so we're cool with Jesus if he's just as cool as, with, as Sudarta Gautama. Come on, somebody. As long as he's as cool as Krishna, as long as he's as cool as Muhammad, then we're cool with the world is cool with Jesus. But as soon as... As, as soon as you start talking about the fact that Jesus is not just a way, but he's the only way. Because along with him being the only way also comes some things that he asks and requires of us. And so when, when it is that the world hears the stance of Jesus, oftentimes they have a gag reflex to Christ and to who he is. And the sin that we are born in, it rejects or it dislikes Jesus. But you can't put the Jesus of the Bible in the same group with Buddha and Krishna and all of them. Because he says in John fourteen six, I am the way. The truth, come on Bible readers, and the life and no one will come to the Father but by me. And so the world is naturally opposed. And look man, we get militant with it nowadays. Because see, they sent a delegation, a presbia. They sent a delegation, ambassadors to run after and make it known. They couldn't even just hold their opinion or their position to themselves. But they had to be verbal about it. They had to, I mean, since when are there such things as evangelist atheists? But nowadays we have people that are militant in regards to their belief, their unbelief or their disbelief of God. And they want other people to disbelieve in God. Come on, somebody. But I wonder if it's about three people. I didn't mean to go here, but I might as well just go on and get the party started. I wonder if it's about five or six of you guys that say that he's been way too good to me. Come on. Even if I wanted to doubt him. I 
couldn't doubt him. Come on, somebody. When I was sick, he healed my body. I feel a preach creeping up on me. When I was depressed, he regulated my mind. I had a bill that was due and they were banging on my door. And some miracle money showed up and he paid my bill. Oh, my God. Even if I tried, I couldn't deny him because he's been too good. You care about your ambassadors? Your militant selves? You know, the Bible says the fool says in his heart that there is no God. How could you look at my gorgeous wife and say there is no God? How could you go to on the island of Barbados and go and see all the beauty that's there or Jamaica? Don't shoot me or any of those. And and say that there is no God. Come on, somebody. Look at all you beautiful people in this place. Look at all the, the way that your body is wired. Come on, church. Look at the way. Do you know how intricate your eyeball is? Do you know how? Do you know the fact that if we were any closer to the sun, that we would disintegrate? And if we were any farther away, that we would freeze? Come on, church, this morning. You ought to know that there is a God that's out there. Come on. But the world, despite all of these evidences. Thank you, sir is naturally opposed to the lordship of Jesus. Can I move on? And so when it comes to, as we're talking about stewarding what he's put in our hands, right? You know, this is not, this is a foreign concept. We don't think about multiplying things for other people. You know, we usually, especially because of our selfish nature, we're always thinking about ourselves. Are we, are you with me this morning? And so going on, look here. So he, he calls them. They send a delegation. Uh, but note what he says to them. Note what he says, uh, moving backwards a little bit, in verse 13. Calling ten of his servants, he gave to them, it says, he gave to them ten minas and said to them, engage in business till I come. You know what I love about that? He calls out of the middle of all of these citizens that dislike Jesus, he calls and saves servants and calls them to be used for for his glory can i give you point number two it's an honor to be a chosen servant of king jesus in fact go ahead and just look at a neighbor and just preach that to them tell them tell them neighbor oh neighbor it's an honor to be a servant of god when you understand that not everybody is in that place. Come on, the Bible says, John 6, 44, none, none can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them. Come on, Bible readers. But not only this, he makes it clear that we are in a position where, as we saw, everybody's not trying to live for God. Everybody's not trying to be a servant of God. Many are called, but few are chosen. And if you are someone who is a servant of God, who has been called by God, who has a mind to give God glory, and to worship him and to serve him you ought to understand that that is an honor it is a rarity it is, it is an anomaly it is countercultural. it is something that is out of the ordinary that you are a servant of God that you have this call on your life come on somebody that felt you know you're a Christian and you there are, should be no Christians that walk around in depression there should be no Christians that walk around with self-esteem issues because you have a revelation about the everlasting, unequivocal love of the Savior. 
once you are a servant of God, that is an honor. It is an honor. I mean, this is, this is an honor. I love it. The, the disciples we find in Acts chapter 5, there is something really incredible that took place after the Ananias and Sapphira experience and all the things that took place. The Bible actually says in Acts chapter 5, I'm actually going to read it. Keep your finger in John. I'm going to read this just so you know that I'm not making it up. Verse 40 and 41, it declares and says uh, after, watch this. Uh, and in fact, verse 40, it says, and when they had called the apostles, they beat them. Somebody say beat them and charge them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Somebody say beat them. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. The disciples were so honored to be a servant of the king. Come on, somebody. That even when they were beaten for the sake of the gospel and charged not to speak in his name. Come on. That they left being beaten rejoicing. Isn't that countercultural? They left being beaten for the gospel's sake rejoicing because they were worthy to suffer honor they were counted worthy to suffer rather for the sake of the name of jesus and there are many of us that when we suffer challenges or we're complaining oh they don't like me i'm a christian they don't like me on my job were you beaten There are people who are in third world countries right now that can't even name the name of Jesus without being being threatened of being beheaded. Come on, somebody. And we're complaining because we got to get up early on a Sunday morning to show up to church and set up some stuff. Come on, somebody in this place. Can I just talk about it? We complain when Jesus tells you to give the person across the street a few dollars. Oh, Lord, but I like my coffee at Starbucks. And And you talk about, do you think that these are sacrifices in comparison? to what the disciples face come on and we complain about it but we've got to be to the place that even if you're not being beaten whatever sacrifice it is that God calls you to for the sake of the gospel if you are his servant you ought to count it as an honor it's not a chore to be a servant of God. It's an honor to be a servant of God. It's an opportunity to be able to display the love of Jesus to a lost and dying world that otherwise would not hear that there is a loving Savior out there. Come on, somebody. When people think about church and when think people think about God, oftentimes all they think about are people who are taken away from them. But you have the opportunity to live in a place that is full of people who are godless to declare and demonstrate the love of King Jesus to let them know that there is a God that changed your life. Can I preach this morning? And the same power that changed your life can change their life too if they would put trust in him. Somebody give God praise because he's a life-changing God. It's an honor. So my question, do you rejoice or complain when you're inconvenienced for the Savior? Do you rejoice or you, do you complain? Not only this, God's unmerited grace should fuel our praise, not our pride. God's unmerited grace 
should fuel our praise, not our pride. So I'm telling you, it's an honor to be a servant of the king, but that don't mean that you go around and turn your nose up at other people who are not. Come on, somebody. It should simply just be a praise cue. It should just, whenever you think about the fact that you, where you could have been if you were not a part of Christ and his body, it should bring you to a place where you just cut a step every now and again. I'm crazy, y'all. I'll run around the grocery store. My wife, she know, when she married me, I used to be, I, you think I'm crazy now? I used to be out of, off my rocker. And so she, she, she knew what she was getting into when she married me. Because every now and again, I'm telling you, man, it don't matter what they're singing. Some of y'all, oh, they're not singing my song today. Oh, my gosh, I can't believe it. I want to hear this song. Oh, my God. It don't matter what song is being sung. I'll be in the grocery store. All I need is a flashback of how I slammed into the back of a tow truck at 70 miles an hour. Come on, somebody. In a little paper car, Geo Metro. And I got out of the car. That's right. There is a praise break. And after I got out of the car with my friends, the one in the back seat wasn't even wearing her seatbelt. Come on, somebody. And when we got out of the car, the people who were witnesses, the, the Hediot boy that left his tow truck in the middle of the, of the highway, he was even looking and saying, how in the world? Are you still alive? Come on. All I got to do is catch a flashback about that. I don't matter who's praising him. I'll praise him all by myself. When I think of the goodness of Jesus. And all that he's done for little old me. I just love him. Okay. Simmer, bring it back down to 15. So then, so they rejoiced. And then we're moving on. So look at this now. Look at this. Look at this here. So this is really cool because he tells them, look at what he tells them. He makes it clear and he says, he says, uh, he says, a noble man went into a far country calling 10 of his servants. And then he tells them, engage in business. Everybody say business. Engage in business until I come. And what I love about this is notice I showed you he gave everybody the same amount of minas. In other parables, you'll see where he gave to one person five talents, to another person ten talents, to a next he gave them fifteen. And these are to, dif- these are to show the, different- the differentiation of his, uh, his giving us things based upon our ability. That's what he makes it clear about. But here, since this is a parable that we believe is speaking in regards to the judgment seat of Christ, I love it because he gives everybody the same thing, just like I gave both Dwayne and uh, Leon the same amount of Play-Doh. Come on, somebody. Because watch this. Although you may, here's point number three, although, although we may differ in our ministration, which means our ministry, our, the, the gifts and the talents we have, the way that we live out what God has placed in our lives, we, uh, we differ in our ministration, but not our foundation. We all started at the cross. Come on. The cross is our foundation. It is there where we start. Come on. We've all started with salvation by grace through faith. And so Christ starts us at the exact same place. It don't matter how you landed on that foundation, but we all start on the foundation. Some of y'all got to the foundation in the backseat of a car. Come on, somebody. Can we keep it real this morning? 
Some of y'all ended up on that foundation because you were in a position where you were in a church and you heard the gospel or in a, a church gathering. It doesn't matter where you were or what you were doing or what you were drinking or what you were smoking or where you were, where Christ found you. Whatever creative journey it took for you to get to the foundation, we all start on the foundation. And so we don't differ we may differ rather in our ministration, the way that we live out what God has given us, the way we do what we do with what God has put in our hand. But we all start out with the same thing. And that's for someone who thinks that because of what you do, that you may be in a part, a place where you think that you are better than somebody else. When in actuality, it's clear that we all start. We all start from this place. First Corinthians chapter 12, verse 22 through 30, it encourages us to understand that there is no part of Christ's body. Because we all are, part of, are all a part of Christ's body. And there's no part of Christ's body that is greater than the other. We all start from the same foundation. And we all are in this position where we have the opportunity to do business with what it is that Christ has given us. He has given us this, he's given us this position and we have the chance to be able to build and to multiply and to maximize what he's given us. What do you have in your hand? What do you have in your life? What, what type of time do you have? What type of talent do you have? And some of you, you have not been operating or doing business with what God has given you because you feel like your talent or what you have is less than. There are people who get delivered because folks smile at them. There are people who get delivered because somebody wrote them a greeting card saying Jesus loves you. Come on somebody. And many times we don't realize that our gifting or what God has called us to is not less important than someone else. And we may differ in our ministration, but because we have the same foundation, whatever it is that you're called to do, God can use it to advance his kingdom and to get glory out of it. And you and I have a responsibility to engage in business with that thing to the glory of God. So that God ultimately will be able to, when he returns, because we find that this is what takes place. And he says, what did you do with what I gave you? He's not going to ask you. He, he don't care about if he just gifted you to smile. He doesn't care if he gifted you to preach to a stadium with tens of thousands. Did you use what I put in your hands to the place where you did business with it and multiplied it? So that it's greater than what I put in your hand initially. Are you with me this morning? I just want to challenge somebody this morning. Because this determines when you, how, what you do with this that you were given. With this foundation. These ten minors that we all were given. Determines what happens when you stand before the judgment seat of Christ. When before the, the bema seat of Christ. Are you still with me? And I love it because when you're talking about it, you're saying, you know, well, well, I don't know my purpose and I don't understand. Like, you know, I know that I'm talented or I have this money in my hand uh, or I have this, you know, this gift. You might be a singer or you might not be a singer, whatever it is that you know that you're talented to do and that you've been called to do. You might be like, I don't know what to do with it. Can I can I just set somebody free this morning? I want to give you point four. I'm almost done. Somebody say number four. Help me out. It says God has given us more liberties 
than boundaries. When the king comes back, look at what it says here. So he says, engage in business till I come. But his citizens hated him, sent the delegation after him. And verse 15, when he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered the servants who he had given the money to, to be called to him, that he might know what they had gained by doing business. He didn't say, how did you gain? How did you turn what I gave you in, what I gave you into more? How did you multiply? Did you hear him ask how? He just said, he just wanted to see that what he gave them had multiplied and had gone beyond what it was that he put in their hand initially. God has given us more liberties than boundaries. You know, when I think about it, you know, when you ask your, when you tell your kids, in your position where you tell your kids, you're like, you know, you can have, you can go and you can have everything, you can have anything in the fridge except that ice cream bar. Guess what happens? For those of you who have kids, you know exactly what I'm talking about. They'd be like, you don't let me ever, you don't let me have anything. Maybe you've never been there yet. You don't let me have anything, mom. It's like you can have anything in the fridge except that. Come on, somebody. Even with Adam and Eve, God told, look, imagine all this, this amazing, lush, you know, garden with all of these things yet to be discovered. You know, God, I mean, I would have I I been spending the most time with my wife because she alone. I mean, I, when I'm thinking if I was Adam and, you know, and she's even, I'd never seen anything like that. I, I, that's where the majority of, I would have been too occupied with her to be going after some tree. Come on, somebody. But that's neither here nor there. I digress. So... <laughs> But Adam, he has all of this stuff. Eve, they have all of these things that they have access to. And God says, you can eat from any tree. They probably had all sorts of stuff that we, you know, you think mangoes are are sweet and all that. They probably had fruit that we've never, ever heard of it, ever. And because God tells tells them they can't eat from this one tree, that's the tree that they go for. And they leave everything else. And oftentimes, that's our perspective as it pertains to the call of God on your and my life. That's our perspective as it pertains to what God has placed in our hands. We often act as if, you know, like, I need God to tell me, go over there and give some money to that homeless guy. Oh, I'm not going to do it because I didn't hear the Holy Ghost. You know the super spiritual people? I didn't hear the Holy Ghost. He told you in his word. When I was hungry, did you feed me? Come on, somebody. When I was naked, did you clothe me? And so oftentimes we think about it as boundaries when in actuality, no, God has given us more liberties than he's given us boundaries. He's given you the ability. He put the lump of Play-Doh in your hand and he's given you the liberty. When I, when I told them to come up here, did I tell them what to make? I just gave them the lump of Play-Doh and they made the determination that they were going to make a ball of a, a boil or fry bake or dumpling and a dinosaur. Did I rebuke them for what they made out of it? No, because they made something greater than what I put in their hand initially. I'm just trying to, I just hope you get in this. And so I'm trying to tell you that we've got to get to the place where you understand you have liberty. It's some stuff you don't need to pray for. Because you don't need to pray about what Jesus already told you to do. God, should I, you know, should I forgive that person? I just need to pray about it. Child, you don't know what they did to me. And so 
I'm just, pr- I'm just praying. And you don't understand that you're not only blocking your own blessings, but you heard me say it before, you're drinking poison, hoping for the other person to die. When Jesus said, forgive your brother 70 times 7, and when you catch the revelation, come on somebody, that you should have re- re- received wrath, that you should have received judgment, but by the grace and the mercy of God, he didn't pay you for what you did to him then that ought to put you in a position where you say, you know what, it should be easier. That revelation should aid you in being able to forgive others. Some stuff we're praying about, speaking in tongues for 10 years, when in actuality God already told you about it. And so you have liberties. Create. I just want to set somebody free today. Create. In the Old Testament, there were such rigid, there were structures and there were things of this nature. There were things that were going on. And, you know, and, 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 but then when Jesus shows up, Jesus changes the whole trajectory of things. And he puts them in a place where they have freedom and where they have grace and where they're able to do, to, to, to be able to maximize what it is that has been put in their hands. And so I want to let you know you have freedom, even as it pertains to giving. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, in the Old Testament, there were prescribed offerings. In the Old Testament, for those who have no clue what I'm talking about, is the first half of the Bible before Jesus showed up and brought grace on the scene. You know, when God was opening the ground and swallowing up people, you know. (laughs) And so Jesus shows up and does some amazing stuff, brings liberty, brings freedom, brings grace, and it's great. It's so amazing. And he makes it clear that he gives us this freedom, even as it pertains to giving. He says... When he says, he who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. He who sows sparingly or less will reap sparingly. And then he goes on and he says, don't give out of necessity or out of need, right? You're not giving to manipulate Jesus and you're not giving under pressure. He says that each person, and I'm paraphrasing 2 Corinthians 9 verse 6 and onward. He makes it clear. He says that each person ought to give as he's decided in his own mind. And so there's some of you, you're in a position where you're like, I want to give financially to church, but how much am I supposed to give? Pray about it. Ask the Lord. Budget it. Take a stab. You know what I mean? You hear what I'm saying? God is not over your neck like you have to do X, Y, or Z. He oftentimes gives us the freedom to be able to try him and to test him and to put stuff out there and see how it goes. And so you, some of you are waiting because of this law-based mentality that we often have. We're waiting for commands when Jesus has given you freedom to walk and be led by the Spirit and to do things, to use your creativity. Just look at somebody. Tell them you're free to be creative. Come on. You're free to be creative on how you love people. Some of you have been seeing my Bajan videos that I've been putting out. And for me, it's me again. Jesus called me to preach. And Jesus called me to play instruments and all this stuff or whatever. And he's given me the gift and the talents that he's given me. I'm going to do whatever the heck I want. Short of compromising God's word to draw attention. Come on, somebody. Because people showed up laughing at vision jokes, but they don't know that there's something else waiting on the other side when they get to the profile. Okay. Use your creativity to engage in business in what it is, with what it is that God has given you. Are you still with me? Freedom in ministry. And so he wants to know, how did you multiply? How did you multiply? And so look at this now. And this is where it comes to as far as rewards and loss. Verse 16 says, the first came before him saying, Lord, your mina has made ten minas more. And he said to him, well done, good servant. 
Because you have been faithful in very little, you shall have authority over ten cities. Here it is. So based upon how he engaged in business or multiplied what was in his possession, he receives reward. He goes beyond to being able to be over 10 cities. And realize, some of you don't even know this. You think that heaven is the ultimate. It's not just heaven. It's heaven and the new earth. Read the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 21. Check it out. Read it. And onward, you'll see that it's not just about heaven. But there, God is coming back. Jesus is coming back to overthrow the enemy and to wipe out the mess that's happened on the earth and create a new earth. And Jesus is going to be king of the earth. Not just heaven, but heaven and earth is going to rule. And those who operate and who engage and multiply what it is that he's put in their hands, he's going to give them rewards based on these things. And so he goes on and he says, it, look, look, so, so he's, he makes him uh, faithful over more. And the Bible goes on and says, uh, in, he goes on and says in verse 18, and the second came saying, Lord, your miner has given, made five uh, minors and he said to him and you are to be over five cities then another came to him saying lord here is your minor everybody say here is your minor here is your minor and he goes on and he makes it clear and he says uh, uh he says uh, which i kept laid away in a handkerchief for i was afraid of you because you are a severe man and take what you did not deposit. This is, that, this is that over-religious person who is not led by the Spirit and is in a place where they are not operating in what it is that God has called them to do. But they have the same foundation as the other servants. Look at what happens to this person. And the Bible makes it clear and says, uh, you take what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. Verse 22, he said to him, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank? And at my coming, I might have collected it with interest. And he said to those who stood by, take the minor. Here's the loss. Take the minor from him and give it to the one who has 10 minors. And they said to him, Lord, he has 10 minors. I will tell you. That everyone who has not, even what he has, will be taken away. So here, remember, there are two possibilities when you stand before the Bema Seat of Christ. Even though you're saved, even though you're a servant of God, in this case, if one God comes back, when the king comes back and he tests your work, if there's been no multiplication on what he's put in your hands, then it's taken away from you. Are you hearing what I'm saying this morning? And the crazy thing about it is he said, even, even if you were in a place of imperfection because you just didn't understand what you were supposed to do with it, you could have at least put it in the bank so I could have got some interest. In other words, even if you don't understand and you're walking in a place of imperfection, at least do something. And so this is the last, this is the last, the last point. Can I give you the last one? Here it is. Our kingdom remuneration, it's, on the, it's up there, it should be up there for you. Our kingdom remuneration will be based on multiplication, multiplication, not perfection. So our kingdom remuneration, in other words, how we are repaid, right, 
will be based on our multiplication, not our perfection. The one dude, even if he didn't get it, he still should have done something. And so I don't know who I'm talking to this morning. And you're like, you know what? I miss it because obviously he had a misunderstanding of who the king truly was. And consequently, he kept it and he did nothing what was with what was put in his hand. Are you in that position? And I'm telling you, man, even if you can't do everything, do something. Because you do not want to be found, if you are saved and you are a believer, you do not want to be found standing before the, the bema seat of Christ. And some of you, like I told you, you're like, oh, I'm just glad that I'm going to make it in though. Is that really the heart of someone who truly, who truly loves God? And ha- No, it's not just about getting to heaven, but it's about I want every single thing that God has for me. And I want to maximize everything that he has put in my hands. Come on, somebody this morning. I wonder if there's anybody here today that's saying, you know what? That's me. That's me. I'm to the place where I'm not quitting, where I'm not giving up. I am not going to just sit around and do nothing. But it is going to be my goal and my endeavor to maximize what God has placed in my hand. And look at what happens to the enemies. The Bible says in verse 27, after he deals with his servants. But as for these enemies of mine, it says, who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me I'm not scared of the harsh words in scripture because they're facts and it's there so those citizens that sent the delegation that presbia to go and say we don't want you to rule over us those people they end up before the great white throne (laughs) and they're thrown as the bible says into the lake of fire where the enemy or satan And those who are aside from God, where they will spend eternity, ceaseless torment. And this is facts. This is scripture. And the good news is, however, the good news is that although this is the case, that you don't have to be in that position. Come on, somebody. You can be in a position where you stand before the bema seat of Christ. You know how that happens? As I told you, it doesn't happen because of your works, but you get to that place and that foundation by putting trust and faith in Christ.